Good morning. <laughs> Welcome to our last worship service of 2023. We are delighted that you're joining us this morning. And um, if you don't know me, my name is Carmen Harper. I serve Woodlawn as an associate pastor, and I'm honored to get to be here to share the last message with you today. Uh, Steve and Joe are actually both off today. They're enjoying times away with their family. So if you guys will just pray that they'll come back refreshed and renewed and restored and ready to lead us well into the new year. Let's pray before we get started. Father in heaven, thank you for loving us. Thank you for allowing us to experience the Christmas season, that time of remembering that you, were, you valued us so much that Jesus left heaven and placed himself into his creation in the form of a helpless babe so that you could save us. If not for Emmanuel, we are a people with no hope. For that, we give you praise and thanks this morning, because if you never did anything more than give us the ability to be in a relationship with you, it would be more than enough, more we could ever hope for. But you are a God who never stops giving. You pour love and grace out on your creation, your word directs us to seek your face. So we do that this morning, Lord. We come before you and ask that you help us to lay aside any distraction, our heartaches, the lies of the enemy, our problems, our illnesses, and focus solely on you. We long to see your face and feel your touch today. Nothing on this earth compares to the joy and wonder of knowing you, the ability to feel your presence and the peace that it brings. Shine on us this morning. Let us feel your love for us today in the tangible ways. Your word says that you delight over us with singing. Today, would you let us hear the melody in the deep places of our hearts? Prepare us for a new year. Help us to look toward and forward all the things that you're going to do in our lives. Move in ways that we haven't seen before, Lord. We love you and ask you to permeate the atmosphere around us this morning so that there is nothing but you. Come, Holy Spirit. Use our feeble efforts to bring glory to your great name. And it is in that name that we pray. Amen. So we find ourselves just a few short hours away from this brand spanking new year, right? And some of you are like good riddance. I can't get out of 2023 fast enough. It was hurtful and harmful and people died and I wasn't happy and I can't wait to get to 2024. And then there are those of us that are sitting there and saying, wait a minute, this was the best year of my life. I had a baby. I got married. Everything was wonderful. I just want to savor the last few minutes I get because I don't know what 2024 is going to bring. And then everybody else falls in the middle of that spectrum, right? Like, we're just, we're just, you know, I don't know, do I want to go? I, you know, this is not so bad. But people have been doing this for a long time, right? We mark our days by day on a calendar. Like, yesterday, we didn't get up excited about today just because it was today, unless you're like me and you just love church and you can't wait to get there. But... Today, we're going to bed, looking forward to tomorrow. It's just another day on the calendar, but we people mark our world by those days, right? And I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm kind of a nerd, and I like to learn new things. So while I was 
looking into this sermon, I learned that the, the month January is called January after this Roman god named Janus who had two faces. With one, he was always looking forward, and with one, he was always looking back. And although, as Christians, we know that he was nothing, he was just a figment of imagination, right? We can see why January got its name, because we do the same thing. At this time of year, we start looking back over what happened in our life and looking forward to what God's going to do in the next year. So, <clears throat> the thing that I like so much about the new year, and I think that other people do too, this is why we make... Um, all those uh, New Year's resolutions, things that we're going to do, uh, we get this button, like it's reset. We're going to start our whole lives over, right? And this year, we're going to become that happier, healthier, thinner, more attractive version of ourselves. <laughs> That's the hope, right? We're going to see how that works come March. So... <laughs> Remembering the past is the key to our future, especially in terms of our walks with the Lord. So, so many times in Scripture, we see, the, we see that God says that I want you to remember what I have done. And I know that my personal life has been marked by those great moments, those great moves of God. I see them marked out like signposts in my life. When I was seven years old and I was at church camp with my grandmother and I felt the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart and he drew me down an aisle to an altar where I asked him to save me. And then when I was an adult and the Holy Spirit got real serious with me and he said, Carmen, it's time to make me Lord and not just your Savior. Because y'all, there's a difference. There were times that God supernaturally protected me from things that I, would have harmed me. And I saw his hand move. And the day that I remember finally answering the call that God had put for me to go into the ministry 20 years before I listened. And here I am today. There are days that he used hardships and pain to mature me and grow me into the person that I am, that change who I am and how I walk. Those are the days that mark my life. And God tells us to remember those because he knows that we humans are fickle, right? We're all fired up for the Lord and we have all the faith in the world. And we walk around telling each other how good God is. And then we come up against something hard in our lives. Or the doctor gives us a word that we don't want to hear. And we start doubting God and doubting his character and doubting his goodness. That's why it's so vitally important that we remember what he did in the past. Now we see all kinds of stories in God's word where he tells us to mark your worlds by what I'm doing today. And one of those we're going to find in the book of Joshua, chapter 4. And I'm going to read that chapter in entirety in a moment, but I want to set up to where we are so you're going to know where we are in God's narrative. 
don't worry, I'm not going to preach the entire chapter. I could teach you every little thing, but we'd have to be here till New Year's next year. But I am going to pull out some important stuff for you. So the Israelites had been led out of Egypt by Moses. They had wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their sin and unbelief. And then Moses died, so God appoints Joshua to lead them into Canaan. So in chapter 3, the Israelites come up against the Jordan River. And verse 15 tells us that the waters of the Jordan are at flood stage at this time of year. So this is not just a regular river. This is a river that is swollen and the water is overtaking the banks, right? So these people had seen something like this before. Remember, these are the same people that came up against the Red Sea and they're looking at the Red Sea and they can't go forward and Pharaoh's army's at their back. And I bet right then they were scared, y'all. Although God had supernaturally brought them out of Egypt, they hadn't seen this before. But then God speaks to Moses. Moses uses his staff and the, the water splits and they walk through the ocean bed and the Bible says that they did it on dry ground. God had moved. And because he moved in the past, now that they were standing there looking at those flooded banks of the Jordan, they had faith to know that God was going to do something. And since they had faith, God asked them, asked them to exercise it. And this time, it, God didn't simply just split the waters. He said, okay, this is what I want you to do. You priests, those who follow me, the I want you to take the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to heft it onto your shoulders, and I want you to walk out into those waters because that water's not moving until you do. So the priests were obedient. They believed God. They had seen him move in the past, so they put the Ark of the Covenant on their shoulders, and they walked out into the water, and it says when the, the, the priests got in, out into the middle of the water, the water spread. And the people walked through on dry ground again. They had confidence to walk into that water because they had seen God move in their past. And this is where we pick up our story. Chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, it says, When the whole nation was finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan from right where the priests are standing and carry them over and put them down in the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, go over before the ark of the Lord your God in the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of Israel as the Lord had told Joshua, and they carried them over with them to their camp where they put them down. Joshua set up the 12 stones that had been in the middle of the Jordan at the spot where the priest who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood, and they are there until this day. 
Now the priest who carried the ark remained standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything that the Lord had commanded was done by the people, just as Moses had directed Joshua. The people hurried over, and as soon as all of them had crossed, the ark of the Lord and the priest came out of the other side while the people watched. The men of Reuben, of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over, ready for battle in front of the Israelites, as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord in the plains of Jericho for war. That day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they stood in awe of him all the days of their lives, just as they had stood in awe of Moses. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant to come out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priest, Come out of the Jordan, and the priests came out of the water carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. No sooner had they set their feet on dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and ran at flood stage as before. And on the tenth day of the first month, the people went up from Jordan and camped at Gilgal on the eastern border of Jericho. And Joshua set up in, at Gilgal the twelve stones that they had taken out of the Jordan. He said to the Israelites, in the future, when your descendants ask their parents, what do these stones mean? Tell them, Israel crossed the Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the Jordan before them, and they crossed over. The Lord your God did to the Jordan what he had done to the Red Sea when he dried it up before. He did this so that all the people of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful and that you might always fear the Lord your God. Now, I love that last verse. He did it so the people would see how powerful that he is. He did it for the same reason he does everything, to reveal himself and his glory to humanity so that they will reverence him. That is the ideal behind everything that God does. So God worked in the lives of the Israelites then, and he works in our lives now to reveal himself to us so that we will fear and reverence him and remember who he is. But what God does is not only for our benefit. The work that he does in our lives is for those around us. But twice in this portion of scripture, we see that the memorial is not even really for the current generation. God calls the people to set up these stones so the Israelites can teach their children about God's mighty acts and his faithfulness. Verse 6 records God telling the people to do this so that their kids, when they ask, you can tell them that I parted the River Jordan so that you could go through it and you could get what I told you you were going to have. So I want us to note that Joshua was told to choose specific people for a specific task. God had used Moses to lead them out of captivity. He was using Joshua to lead them into the promised land. And then Joshua was asked to use 12 people to do this task on behalf of their tribes. Now these were big stones, y'all. It says that they carried them on their shoulders. These weren't little pebbles. These guys were bringing these stones up out of the water and they had to carry them into the camp. And for a while, they were burdened by that task. But once they reached the encampment, they laid them down 
and Joshua put them all together and erected a monument of remembrance. It was big and it was noticeable. It made a statement. It called attention to itself because God wanted generations to come to look at this thing and go, what's this about? And those people could say, this is about God's faithfulness. This is about what God did for us. Now, up to this point, God had chosen individuals and given them specific tasks. But I, what I want you to notice is that those individuals worked on behalf of God and his plan, but they did not do it for their own benefit. They did it for the benefit of Israel. God's nation, God's people. He did not exalt, sorry, he did not exalt Moses in the sight of the people, nor Joshua to show them the great, their, how great they were or how more important they were. He did it to demonstrate his own greatness for the benefit of the entire nation. God used this people, God used Moses to do a specific thing. He, he, he used Joshua to do this specific thing. And then he used these people to set up this memorial to what he had done. But he did it so that they would never forget what he had done or who he was. Now that's the same for us in our day. When God moves in our lives, the things that he does can reverberate into the future and affect the generations to come. Now I'm going to make this scenario personal for us. More than 60 years ago, a few families got together and they started meeting in a little house in a neighborhood trying to plant a church. And over the course of time, they got some land in that neighborhood, they built a building, and it became a thriving congregation. And they called it Woodlawn. And more time passed, and God used other people to come out here and buy this property and build another building. And God did greater things in the life of Woodlawn because of the obedience of those people that he chose to do those tasks. And then a church member said, hey, I've got this, this building over here on the beach, and I bet we could put a church over here, and we could reach people that would never show up and come to that building. And Worship at the Water was born. And now... God uses Woodlawn. He uses all these different services, all these different ministries. And we are benefactors of what those families did all those years ago. I am a life that is changed and touched because of what they did, and so are you. What happened in the past is pivotal to our future. It's important, y'all. Woodlawn is evidence of what God did in the lives of those families at its inception, those around them, and of future generations. On a smaller scale, this happens in our own lives, right? I told you some of my days. We become Christians, we get baptized, we grow our faith, and then we have children, 
both natural and spiritual. And we share what God's done in our lives. And we do that, and God, they benefit from the work that God has done in our lives. As we call to remembrance what God has done, other people are affected. Other people are changed. Other people's lives are enriched. Now, there is a passage of Scripture in the New Testament that talks about God setting up a stone of his own. Beginning in 1 Peter chapter 4, chapter 2, verse 4, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And the stone that causes people to stumble and the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they are destined for. But you, he's talking about you guys now. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus is the cornerstone upon which God continually builds his church. With every soul saved, God is adding to this growing organism these living stones. And just as Joshua place those 12 stones together, one for each individual tribe. God places each member of his church as part of the whole because in Christ we are one. This passage of scripture calls us a holy priesthood. It's hard to see yourself in that manner, isn't it? Those who proclaim him who brought us out of the darkness to those who are still in darkness. We are God's plan for the lost. He put the responsibility on us to share what God has done in our lives so that others can be saved. So what is the takeaway from all this? Like, it's good to have all this information, but what do we do with it? And I love the application piece, right? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. Because I know this, I have to do that. James says, don't be a hearer of the word, but a doer. It's not enough to know what God's word said if you're not doing it, right? So what do we do with what we learned? Reuben, I, let, me, let me point this out to you. It talked about Reuben, Gad, and the half point of Manasseh, or half tribe of Manasseh. 
they were the ones leading the charge to go into battle against God's enemies in this new place. But what we didn't learn, really, is that on the other side of Jordan, before they crossed over, Gad, Reuben, and this half-tribe of Manasseh decided, you know what? This land right here is good enough for us. We don't know what God's plan is on the other side. We haven't seen it yet. But this right here is good, good enough for us. So we want this land right here. Just give us this. God, write us the deed. And God agreed to do that. But he said, okay, you can have that land, but you're going to be the front line when your brothers go over to take the, take the, the land of Canaan. So you can have this, but you got to go over and help your brothers get what, they're, what, they're, what is their due, what I am giving them. And when, every time I have read that passage, I have wondered, Lord, did they get over the River Jordan because they had to go anyway? And did they see this land that God had planned for them and go, man, we made a mistake because we thought this looked good. But God's plan was so much better. And I'm so sorry that I settled for this when I could have had that. And now I got to be the one on the front line with risking myself anyway. We're going up against the enemy anyway. Wouldn't you rather be getting God's idea for it? It just doesn't make good sense otherwise. God has a plan. He had cleared the way for this great future for Israel. And he has cleared the way for this great future for Woodlawn. I believe that God wants to do better, greater, more powerful things with Woodlawn than he has ever done in the past. I really do believe that, y'all. I don't know if y'all were paying attention much over the past year, but in 2023, God sparked revival all over the world. I mean, we heard about it in, in Kentucky because it just so happened to happen at the best school on planet Earth, and we knew that <laughs> it was going. But it also happened all over the world. People in Iran, she was talking about it in her prayer, people in Iran are coming to Jesus in droves because they're having dreams where he reveals himself to them. And they're finding Jesus. See, God doesn't need us. But he will use us. And he wants to. He desires to use us. And he will. If we, obe we will be obedient and humble and listen. So God is giving us an opportunity today. So what is that? We can make this another monument, another moment in time that when the future generations of Woodlawn look back, they can go, that is an important day in the life of Woodlawn because that was the day that the congregation decided, that the church decided, you know what? We're going to be the one that God talks about. We're going to be unified we're going to put aside our own wants and our own desires. We're not going to settle 
for this place that looks good to us, but we're going to cross over Jordan and we're going to go for what God has planned for us. Every morning in 2024, this is what I want you to commit to. I want you to get up and I want you to thank God for everything he has ever done for Woodlawn, for you, for your family. I see some of you sitting here and I know I've been, I have been at full time at Woodlawn for more than 10 years now. I was a visitor for years before that. And there are people here that were here long before I. Joan Cole, she raised her kids in this church. She knows the power of setting a monument to the Lord. She knows what it's like to meet with Jesus on a couch in her home and know that this is a moment that's going to affect my kids. This is going to affect my grandkids. And God has given us a brand new year and a brand new opportunity to set that down and go, Lord, you're right. We are one. And it doesn't matter what we think looks good. It doesn't matter our preference of music or whatever it is. We want your plan. Because sometimes in the church we get stuck and we like it the way it's always been. And that's okay that we don't change. As long as God is not the one that's calling us to change, y'all. And if God is calling us to change, we need to get up from where we're at. We need to cross the River Jordan. And we need to ask him to give us what he has planned for us. And I believe that his plan for Woodlawn is amazing. But we have to be willing. We have to be humble. And we have to ask. God's word says, you have not because you ask not. And you don't get it because you ask amiss. We got to stop asking God for what we want. We got to start asking God to give us what he wants. That is why we're here today. That is why we are a church. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist to bring glory and honor and majesty to the Lord Jesus Christ and to draw the lost that are dying around us to the throne. And we have an opportunity to do that today. And I ask you to walk with me. Pretty soon we're going to be having 21 days of prayer. If you don't know how to pray, come on down, we'll teach you. Six o'clock every morning. They're in there, they're faithful, they're praying. Nine o'clock on Saturdays, that sounds better to you. <laughs> we, got, we got a man that set up and came here for the last couple of months, six o'clock on Saturday mornings. He got his key. Even if he showed up himself, he sat in this room and he prayed for Woodlawn. And he's been here about two days compared to the rest of us. It's time for us to show up for the Lord. Wait for to see what he's going to do with us in the year to come. Let's pray. Father, thank you for everything that you've done for us this year. Thank you for faithfully continuing to build your church on the cornerstone of Christ Jesus. We are especially grateful for all you've done at Woodlawn, Lord. You have grown us from a couple of families meeting in home into a church that meets in three venues and reaches people online all over the world. We praise you for that, and we ask you to do immeasurably more 
Conform us to your will and into your image in the coming days and empower us to draw others to you by the way that we live. We bless you and we praise you for all that you have done and all that you are going to do. In Jesus' name, amen.